everyone. It's Emily Murphy with Grow What You Love. I can't wait to share the story of this next guest. Her name's Justine Kahn, and she's the founder of Botnia, a plant-based skincare line and owner of Skin Remedy in San Francisco. I spoke with her at her home in the heart of Sausalito, California, where we made a simple and amazing calendula healing oil straight from her garden, and she took me on a tour of her mini farm. Now, Justine didn't plan to grow a mini farm in the heart of Sausalito, and she also didn't set out to create a plant-based skincare line. These things grew from a nagging question, how to help people understand that what we put on our skin is just as important as what we put in our bodies. Let's hear how her story evolved. So welcome to the farm. It's so hot today, but everything looks like it's doing really well. It's beautiful. The calendula looks wonderful. Your yeah. rose geranium. Yep, so this is our rose bed right in front of you, and we have all of these beautiful scented roses. Um, some of them smell like tea. Other ones have this bright kind of crisp smell. This is one of the old roses in the garden that was here before we had the property. It smells a little like apricot and... Mm. something else there's something about roses for women i'm like it's it's just it it really smells so crisp and fresh and they're yeah they're so beautiful and then we have chamomile right here and you have three long beds of chamomile yep so we have three long beds of chamomile and then we have two that we just um planted over and your rose geranium is just tucked in, planted straight in the ground. That's right. And I love the way chamomile smells. It smells like, um, to me, it smells like honey and apples. Honey and apples, that's yeah. true. Right? It does. Ah, it's so beautiful. I think I feel better just for smelling it. I mean, it has, it has that like immediate Nervine reaction. Right, so Nervine, what do you mean by Nervine? It calms the nervous system. Okay. Yep, so it just immediately makes you go, ah, <sighs> like you walked out of a massage, shoulder down, other shoulder down. Exactly. Now inhale and relax. <laughs> Best, oh, I love it. And calendula, we have calendula lining our pathways. You have calendula everywhere. Everywhere. There's, there's never enough calendula. That's right. You can never have enough. It's a sun worshiper. So they just, right now, it's bright and sunny out. And so all of their beautiful flowers are just fully open to the sunshine. And I love, I love them. And the way that I actually harvest them is you just pluck them right off the plant. And there they go. And there they go. I wish I had my camera on me. I take a picture. So beautiful. I left it over there. And then here are the two beds that you're just. Yep. So we're just we just started over with these beds, um, and then we have lemon verbena here. Well, lemon verbena is one of my favorite plants. Oh, it's so incredible. It's so incredible in culinary. Mm, you can bake with it, you can make tea out of it. That's right. And while I'm standing here in your garden, uh, for listeners, I am looking back at Justine's two-story house, kind of a white house with blue trim. And uh, it's framed by this amazing garden with old original fr fruit trees and a small greenhouse where Justine does her, uh, the dries many of the plants that she grows. And, and starts. And starts as well. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, there's one, two, three, four, five raised beds. Three of them are filled with chamomile. Uh, there's roses everywhere. Uh, there's order, and then there's a, just the right amount of chaos. Yeah. That's how I would describe it. <laughs> yeah, there is some chaos. I love chaos in a garden. I always let all our volunteers just kind of go by the edges of the beds. Yeah, that's what I do too. Right. See what comes up, and if I need to, I'll move them around. Yeah, exactly, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, they're so beautiful. And come this way, because I want to show you these rose geraniums. They are just so beautiful, and as you walk by, their scent comes off on your clothing, um, but we have them lining the pathways of... Everywhere. Do you only grow rose geranium or do you grow some other varieties as well? So we have the attar of rose and rose geranium. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, they're just the best. And it has kind of almost a minty kind of overnote, top yeah. note to this one. Yeah. Hmm. I love how they shift depending upon where they're grown. Right? Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And uh, is this, this is an apple tree. That's an apple tree. Um, and then over the fence is a pear. Or sorry, a peach. A peach. We have peach trees over there. There's a sister lemon verbena tree right here. And I swear they talk to each other. <laughs> they're best friends. They're like, hi, how yeah. are you? I'm, I'm over here. They always flower like literally on the same day. They're just- They're like, sister plants. They're sisters, yeah. And I'm like, they're across the fence. And if you go outside that door right there, we have on the outside of our fence, we are growing more Calendula, no surprise there. And, and lavender. lavender. So we have a lavender field, more calendula, and then of course our compost. Fact, watering is essential to making plants grow. So why not arm yourself with tools that make it easier? Gilmore makes a line of swivel connect nozzles that pivot without twisting the hose behind you. So no matter where you walk or spray, your hose stays straight. Why does that matter? Because hoses that stay straight kink less, and with this nozzle, they'll kink 70% less, which is a lot. You'll get a 50% reduction in torque, which means you'll get less of that twisting feeling while pulling the hose around, which of course makes it easier to move around. Definitely a win-win. Cool tool. Check it out at gilmore.com and get 20% off the Swivel Connect nozzles with promo code GRO20 or GROW20. We're here in your studio. What are we making? Well, welcome. Um, we are making a calendula face oil, but you can also use it all over your body. It's amazing for cuts and scrapes, but also great as just a beautiful face oil. It's a lymphatic supporter. It's just an incredible part of your skincare medicine cabinet. Right, just a general all-around wonderful treatment. And for those of those of the listeners out there who aren't familiar with calendula, it's a fabulous companion plant and flower for the garden. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about calendula. Let's. <gasps> well, the calendula that we grow here is a calendula racina, and it's from the Baker Creek heirloom seeds. And it's a beautiful yellow and orange and resinous, sticky flower. It grows like crazy. It's the easiest plant to grow. You almost could grow it by mistake. And what I love, one of the things I love, so 
Um, it does look a little bit like a daisy in its, yeah. in its flower pattern. But when it goes to seed, the seeds themselves, they kind of have a C shape. Yeah. And they look a little bit like, to me, the backbone of, of an ancient creature, like yeah. some prehistoric <laughs> creature, like uh-huh. the backbone of an animal. Um, they're truly amazing. And they're a great plant for harvesting with kids. You can put the petals on salads. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, this time, we're making something to put on your skin. That's right. And yeah. with them, I mean, one of the other things that I love about calendula is that it's a sun worshiper. And so it has this beautiful way of opening and closing with the sun. And I find that it's incredible for hyperpigmentation and sun damage. And I love that kind of element of it where, you know, it's the sun worshiping plant that also brightens your skin. Oh, I love that. So for those of us who forgot to put on sunscreen, who were never (laughs) told to wear sunscreen as a kid, this is the recipe for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so brightening. And today we're pairing it with jojoba. It's a California jojoba. Um, and jojoba, for those who don't know, is the plant oil that's most closest to our own natural sebum. I have read that. Yeah. And so it's something that our skin and our bodies respond to because it's so closely matched to what our bodies produce naturally. That's right. Which is amazing, jojoba. So when you see jojoba, I can pronounce that correctly. (laughs) So when you see that ingredient, say, on a body product, you know that that's something that your body understands. That's right. And it's really important to get organic jojoba. So look for a quality jojoba when you are looking for jojoba as you play with this recipe. And it's indigenous to this part of the country, which I also love about this plant. So it grows in Southern California and Arizona. It's just a really great slow growing shrub. And it also is a liquid wax. So one thing that's interesting about jojoba is that if it gets too cold, it will actually turn solid. All you have to do to warm it back up is put it in the sun. Like like a coconut oil. Yep. Some people might be familiar with that. Mm -hmm. So right now, listeners, um, we are in Justine's studio, the Botnia studio, and we're looking at three small jars. These are pint-sized mason jars. And one is filled almost to the top with jojoba oil, and one is filled with dried calendula, which what's fabulous is when it's dried, it still holds its color. It has this wonderful really rich orange color and then a jar that's empty for our finished product i'm assuming yep that's right and we're gonna take this calendula and emily if you wouldn't help me um just start grinding this okay um and so we're just going to grind it and you can grind calendula a few different ways one you can use a mortar and pestle which is what we're going to do today okay Um, and so you just dump it on in there and just start kind of working it down okay so i'm putting the calendula into the mortar and pestle or into the mortar and I have a pestle and I'm going to use that to grind it down. Got it. And if you hear the sound of that, it's because I'm actually grinding it down. (laughs) And how how fine does it need to be? You know, it doesn't have to be fine, but what we're doing is we're releasing a lot of that resin so that when we submerge it with the oil, it first of all has more mass for the extraction, but it also releases a lot of that resin so that it's just an easier extraction of it. And so probably about, I would say a minute, um, you'll get a little workout. It's almost like we're like, um, I know when you make a compress out of leaves, which is something I've done in the past with like comfrey, you're just really breaking the membrane or the the surface layer. And that's what we're doing. Yep. Okay, good. I'm I'm picking up what you put down. You got it. 
And if you don't have one of these vessels, you can actually use a coffee grinder. You just don't want to use it too much. So you just want to do like a couple pulses. Uh, okay. And that'll grind it up for you if you don't have a mortar and pestle okay. at home. Should I give this a little more muscle? How am I doing? Yeah, I think you're doing pretty good. And you could do some big circular okay. motions just to kind of get some of those little petals off, off of the there. bottom. Bottom, exactly. That is looking beautiful. Oh, I just love the colors of calendula. And when we dry our calendula, what we're doing is we're taking it right from the farm and putting it into uh, drying racks. You can actually get them on Amazon, hang them anywhere in your garden, but you can also just take your calendula and you know place it on a piece of wax paper in the sun. It takes about a week for it to dehydrate. Or if you have a dehydrator, you can use that as well. Like a regular food dehydrator. That's right. I know when I collect mine, I actually, take the um, blooms I've cut and I put them on a, a flat basket. Yeah. And I put them in a cool, shady place out of the sun in my house where there's a little bit of ventilation, just like I would if I were, you know, drying seeds or even tomatoes or something, right? Yeah. Um, or other herbs that I might be using for cooking that I want to preserve for winter. So it's the same process. Exactly. And that looks great. Okay, you sure? Do you approve? I do. I totally approve. Okay, good. Beautiful. Yay! And so then it's really simple. What you're going to do is you're going to take this and let's just clean our vessel first. So this part is actually really important. I clean everything with alcohol, um, but you want to make sure that first you clean your mason jar with soap and water. And then we're just going to spray it down with alcohol. And that's because this is a skincare product. If this was, you know, a product that wasn't for the skin, you could be a little bit more relaxed, but because we wanna make sure that we're not having any bacteria or anything inside our mason jar, we're just gonna clean it out first. And then you can fill that up. Okay. Our petals have been ground very gently with the pestle. And now we're gonna take these petals and you said we're gonna put them in the jar we just cleaned. Yep, so you're just gonna place it right in that jar. Okay. And why don't you do that and then I'll pour the oil over after. So you can just okay. with your hands, Okay. just scoop them out. So there's nothing delicate about this. I'm just gonna take these and put them straight into this jar and they're going in. I dropped a few on the counter, but I'm sure that's okay, right? Yeah, that's totally okay. I'm sometimes not the neatest of people. <laughs> I mean, I think that's part of the whole journey of being a gardener or farmer. Right. Um, it gets a little messy it gets sometimes. It a little messy. <laughs> and we do need to embrace the mess. Exactly. The, like, you know, dirt under your fingernails, so to speak. Um, and so I'm just going to pour this jojoba over. So we're filling the jar so the jojoba goes just over the top of the level of the petals. So it's just covered. So it's just covered like that. So it's almost filled to the top of the jar. Yep. And then we're just going to screw the cap on. And then I like to, you know, give it a good shake just okay, to right. kind of get it all incorporated. And then what I personally do is I wrap it with tin foil, and that's to protect it from the sun. Cajoba, it's a really stable oil, unlike some other oils that you might find out there. But we still want to protect it from the sun because we're going to put it in a nice sunny spot. Because we want it to get really warm. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So we want it to get nice and warm, and so we're just going to wrap it. So we're essentially making something like a tea because we're infusing the essential properties of the calendula into the oil. We've mixed them together, and now we're placing them where it's warm. So we're activating that infusion process like you would a tea. That's right. 
Exactly. So it's just like a tea and then you're going to let it sit for a full moon cycle somewhere warm. I loved your idea that you said earlier about placing it by a fireplace if it's winter time. Yeah. So if you missed that part, Justine and I were talking earlier when I was in college, I used to work in an herb store and we made all sorts of things, oils included. And in the winter when there wasn't much sun, cause it was Humboldt County and it was always rainy and it was cold. I would make oils and I'd put them near the fireplace, but not right next to it. So it was warm enough to infuse the essential elements within the plants, but not so warm that it would break them down or render them, I guess, less fit. How would you describe that? Yeah, I mean, every oil has a different flashpoint. And flashpoint means when, you know, you're killing off the beneficial parts of it. And so usually, you know, generally you don't want things over 120 is kind of the golden rule. And so you just kind of want to think if it's too hot to be next to the fire, you don't really want your oil right there but you know on the mantle or you know sitting in a windowsill or somewhere you know in your bathroom would be fine just so long as you know it's protected and away from sunlight right so what I love about this is that this is something anyone could make that's right so you could grow what's amazing about calendula is you could grow two or three seeds and have loads of blooms so many blooms Mm -hmm. and you could make enough oil to last you a whole season and use it in all sorts of that's right the whole year and this this oil is such a beautiful conditioner for the skin and like we had kind of talked about it's a lymphatic supporter it helps with sun damage it heals tissue so it's incredible for moms to be this is such a great product for diaper rash you know make this product for your baby it's just the best. And what you can do, you know, if you make this oil and you decide, you know, that you want to add some essential oils to it, you can and have a luxurious treatment as well um, for your skincare at home. It's just, and it's so cost effective. So yeah. Yeah. And then you're making something from garden to table, but it's Mm -hmm. garden to apothecary. That's right. This process of making calendula oil, this is something you now do on a regular basis because yeah. you're the founder of this fabulous skincare company called Botnia. Yeah. And it's two years old. You just had your second birthday recently, right? Yep. In February. Which is amazing because you're very young. You don't have to tell me how old you are. but um, <laughs> I'm 36. You're very successful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and motivated. And yeah. tell me a little bit about your process. So we're making this really simple calendula oil that is really the basis probably for so many of the recipes that you make for your skincare products. But what what was your process? How did you end up here? Oh, man. Oh, so I ended up here basically because... I'm an esthetician, so really I didn't start with the garden. I started in the treatment room and offering my clients facials, and I really found that I wasn't ever able to fully offer my clients a true remedy. What I understand is that you were you kept seeing people come in with irritated skin, you first told me, and they were their skin yeah. was red, and you realized, do they have to suffer in order to improve their skin? Right. Is suffering equal health? Yeah, I mean, I think that piece of it. So, you know, for me, working in the treatment room on my client's skin and seeing that people were coming in with rashes and coming in with sensitized skin and coming in with eczema and psoriasis and the ingredients I was using 
were either causing it or weren't offering them a solution, I really felt like I had to look to another source. And that's when I started to really get interested in making my own skincare and bringing in these plants into the treatment room. Mm -hmm. And I started seeing these miraculous results on my clients where all of a sudden this client who had been suffering from rosacea for years and years Mm -hmm. came in and had no more rosacea. And, you know, these issues that are big and systemic were getting solved using simple, simple skincare. It was so exciting. Like, like what type of simple skincare? So, you know, in my treatments in a botany facial, we have raw ingredients that we grind and combine at the time of service. Okay. So I really stopped meeting the skin for a desire that a client might have, but actually started meeting it in that moment and looking at it and feeling it and seeing where there was imbalance because our skin is an organ and it's part of our whole system. And so if today you're dehydrated, it doesn't mean that you have dry skin. It just means that we need to treat that imbalance in the moment. Okay. And so we take those raw ingredients. So it might be in that, for instance, collodial oatmeal, which has polysaccharides in it. And then we might take some kale, which has vitamin A, for brightening. I remember you saying you also use certain yogurts. Oh yeah, goat's milk yogurt because of its natural lactic acid and it's got probiotics in it Mm -hmm. and enzymes and all of these beneficial things that are going to help support your skin's function. You know those those products you get and you can't read the ingredients on on the ingredients list? Oh gosh, Because the words you can't (laughs) pronounce? That's right. Um, All those things combined really aren't necessarily beneficial to us. One of the things I love uh, that you said when we first met was that you really wanted people to understand that their skin is their body. That's right. And what we put on our skin Mm -hmm. is just as important as what we put in our bodies. And why would we put something on our skin that is chemical-based when really we're facing all these chemicals in our environments anyways? Instead, let's put something on our skin that truly is healing, that's simple, that's plant-based, something that our bodies understand. That's right. Absolutely. And build up the health of our skin. And I think, you know, common knowledge of health is that whole ingredients equals healthier outcomes, right? Right. But when we're talking about cosmetics, that same logical idea has not been applied. Right. So we're, it's, this is really a whole food diet for your skin. That's right. I love, I love that. I love that so much. It makes complete sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to your story, one of the things, so I've met Justine before. I was lucky enough to meet her before asking her to join me for this podcast. And one of the things I love about Justine, about her story, is that she says, oh, you can describe this better, but you grew up in Vermont with hippie parents. Yep. You always had a garden. Uh-huh. You found yourself as an anesthetician and treating people's skin in a spa. Mm-hmm. And then you started having these questions of, is what I'm doing actually working? And asking yourself, how can I solve this problem? How can I make it better? And then you start combining plants. You grow your own garden. It's come full circle for you. Yeah. I really love that you've had this question of how to solve this problem. Where do I go from here? And now you're growing a mini farm in what is basically the heart of Sausalito. Yeah, and it didn't start that way. I mean, and I think that piece of it is about the process and also about the idea that when you really, truly are in your integrity as a healthcare provider, and that's what I view estheticians as, as healthcare providers, 
you really have to look at what the quality of the ingredient that you're using is. And I think for so long, we haven't been paying attention to that. And this was just kind of the way to get there. Right, for you. This for me. Was, it, the farm is a way to get there. And now I have this other joy in my life, which was unanticipated for me, which is growing plants that are beautiful and smell amazing and do these beautiful jobs for my client's skin and for other botany aestheticians. So it's really exciting. And it's exciting to slow down and be mm-hmm. out there and mm-hmm. just focus on one plant at a time and processing it and making a hydrosol. I mean, that is just... Wait, so what's a hydrosol? Oh, hydrosols. They're so exciting and they're ancient, but they're so exciting. Um, But we make hydrosols as part of our preserving system in our skincare line and then also as standalone notes. It's the immune system of the plant that we're extracting with the flavonoids, the terpenes of the plant. And we take those and we combine it with our skincare And it's essentially like adding an immune system to our product, but also adding an immune system to your skin. So rose geranium is one of the plants that we grow a lot of, and we make our hydrosol for our skincare as part of our preservative. And it's also hormone balancing and anti-inflammatory. Oh, I love that. Because rose geranium, if anyone knows, is not a true geranium. Nope. It's a pelargonium. Yep. And it's one of those plants that, at least for me, when I think about it from a horticultural standpoint and growing standpoint, it's one of those plants I grow from cuttings. Like these are the things that immediately come to mind. This type of geranium can be found in many different fragrances, different Mm -hmm. scents from lemon to tea tree. But rose geranium, it sounds like is very special on its own. And it's so fabulous. Like I feel happier just smelling it. And to smell these plants, if you ever see a plant that looks like a geranium, but you're not sure what it is, you can rub the leaves, Mm -hmm. smell your fingers and get a sense for that plant. And these are the constituents that I think you're talking about. That's right. It is exactly those constituents. And so that's what we're extracting. And we use a big copper still to extract where we boil water and pass it through the plant matter, turn it into steam, condense that steam into liquid again. And the byproduct of the hydrosol is essential oils. So on the very surface of the hydrosol, we have the essential oils, which are the volatile oils. And then underneath is the hydrosol. Um, And it used to be that people just threw away that water and said, that stuff's not good for anything and we'll just keep the essential. But really what they were throwing away is this really amazing ally for the skin. Something that's really vital. That's right. And it's that simple. Yeah. That's really interesting. Like for some reason I thought it was like crazy science that why, you know, how do you actually make that? You definitely need a lab to make that, but it sounds like you don't. So just as simply as we made this calendula oil, you could make a hydrosol at home. That's right. And you could do something good for your body. Yeah. And you could be closer to your garden. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's it's incredible. So, I mean, it's accessible. It's accessible. So we're growing what we love from the ground up. So, Justine, I want to get your take on something. Sweet. I just read a National Geographic article from a recent publication, and the article was titled Chemicals Within Us. Mm-hmm. And the journalist, David Duncan, tested himself for chemicals lingering in his own body. So he made himself the human guinea pig and he used his findings to dive deeper into the subject. Basically our bodies are loaded with environmental chemicals and as the chemical load in the environment increases, so too do illnesses from cancer Mm -hmm. to birth defects. 
And he goes on to say that there's not enough evidence linking these two things, chemicals in the environment and illnesses, but the curves match. You can't deny that these curves are trending together. Of the chemicals, he talks about fire retardants in furniture and clothing, pesticides in food, and fragrances and products like shampoos as being just as, just as much the culprits of chemicals in our environments. Here's a section of the article I found really fascinating. He says, each year, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency reviews an average of 1,700, 1,700 new compounds that the industry is seeking to introduce into the market. Yet, the 1976 Toxic Substances Control Act requires that they be tested for any ill effects, but this is seldom the case for new chemicals. In fact, the agency approves about 90% of the new compounds without restrictions. Only a quarter of the 82,000 chemicals in the U.S. have ever been tested for toxicity. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. What is your take on this? Do you feel as if you've seen some of these chemical effects in your work? Absolutely. Um, it's like a loaded question. Yeah, I know. Like, yes, yes, this is why. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's such a hard time in this moment to be a consumer. It's really challenging to know what chemicals are in things because these companies aren't even necessarily held to any standard to disclose to you what chemicals are in these products. And then beyond that, it would take the consumer actually knowing what that chemical is, doing their due diligence and researching it, and then making a decision from there. And I think it's such an important moment to have the whole plant and to have the whole food movement moving in the direction of transparency and really for the consumer to go out and ask where these chemicals are coming from that they're using. Um, we know that calendula flowers, for instance, are safe. We've been growing and cultivating calendula, dare I say, thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Thousands so of years. it's something that, you know, we know that this is not a toxic compound, but, you know, parabens, we know that that also is a new science that we found, you know, showing up in breast cancer tissue. So, these two things we really have to weigh when we're selecting our beauty care and home care. And I've seen time and time again people suffering from eczema and psoriasis and rosacea, all inflammatory diseases mm-hmm. and disorders for the skin mm-hmm. based around topical sensitization of using, you know, things like Tide detergent with all the scent in it or dryer sheets, you know, body products that smell like cotton candy or what have you. It could come from anywhere. It could come from anywhere. It reminds me of how a nicotine patch works. So for, for someone who is trying to quit smoking, one of the methods for this, one of the one of the tools of the trade is to use a nicotine patch where the person puts a nicotine patch on their body, as you many of you might know, uh, listeners out there, and that nicotine is then absorbed by the body in certain dosages to hopefully help wean the person of nicotine and therefore give them the possibility to quit smoking. But it's absorbed by the skin. That's right. And it's used as a remedy. It's transdermal. Mm -hmm. So anything we put on our skin is absorbed at some rate, depending upon what it is, into our bodies and becomes part of our bodies and is found in our bodies. Thus, 
Thus, this guy, David Duncan, this journalist, discovered that in himself. Yeah, and I think that's what's so exciting too right now is that we can take the power back as consumers and we can say like, let's hold these companies accountable for what they're putting in our stuff and let's grow our own. I mean, I think that piece of it, there you're never going to have a better salad than the one that you grow in your garden, right? And you could grow calendula in your garden and yeah. make your own calendula oil for everything. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. And you could put the petals in your salads. Yeah, yeah exactly. Your, your extra petals you can throw in your salad. I mean, it, there's just endless opportunity in your own garden. And then when you are consuming outside of your garden, asking the right questions and, you know, follow those people on Instagram, people like myself, mm -hmm. we are posting, I mean, you can go and follow Botnia and see our farm and see everything in action and see us making in our lab and know that we are telling you the true whole story. And that piece is important. Right, right. That's such a great idea because we can use... While some of you out there, listeners, um, might not be interested in social media, social media, as Justine's pointing out, social media can be used as a tool to vet uh, the companies whose products you might buy. And so if you go to Justine's account, to the Botnia account, you'll see what's actually happening, boots on the ground, and Justine's mini farm here in the heart of Sausalito, as well as her farm partners up in Healdsburg, I believe. Yep. And it's inspiring. It's because then you get to be a part of this process that becomes your body care. And again, it's that whole food. It's a whole food movement for the skin. That's right. It was an incredibly hot day with temperatures over 100 degrees. Incredibly hot for what is normally foggy Sausalito. So Justine and I wrapped up our conversation in the shade of her garden. So Justine, I've heard you describe what you do as slow beauty. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so, you know, again, like building up the foundation of our health is such a key component to what we're doing differently with Botnia and, and the way that we're approaching overall health. And it's just like the idea of, you know, if you start a diet today, you're not going to lose 20 pounds. It takes a long time to lose weight. It takes working out, it takes eating properly. And it's the same thing with transitioning from conventional skincare to organic skincare, is that we're really looking at it as a longer term foundational way of building up your health. And so it takes a while. You know, our skin cells turn over every month and it's a full 30 days before we're going to have those new fresh skin cells. And looking at that as healthy instead of removing them with that scrub or that exfoliator and looking at our whole system as kind of a little bit of a slower moving system but that the result is greater in the end and so with our foundational health as the centerpiece having home care that achieves our goals but over time and i love that it also translates to the garden i mean we only can grow so much chamomile mm -hmm. we can only grow so much lavender we can only grow so many finite ingredients and it takes a long time and it's slow and it's just like the organ that we are protecting our skin it's something that takes a while and is slow moving. And so I love the term slow beauty because I think it translates from everything to physically growing to protecting and the results we all want. And yeah, and I think it's a movement. Mm -hmm. I think it's a movement too. I think you've started a movement. Oh, it's official. It's official. Yeah, it's really cool to be at the forefront. 
what I think will ultimately change so many women's lives and men. Yeah, men are getting into the the skin movement, right? The beauty, That's right. the be- everyday beauty routine. They have skin too. They have skin too. <laughs> they might not have as many hormonal fluctuations. I will say that, but beyond that, I think men absolutely suffer and don't seek the kind of care that they deserve. And I'm really excited every time a man is interested in skincare. Did you hear that, men? Time to see your esthetician. Yes. Come. Find, find, a, find, find a botany spa. Yes. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Oh, man. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. We did cover a lot of ground. I'm just so excited to be here in our garden talking about this with you because I think, you know, the idea that growing can be simple, that skincare can be simple, that we don't have to overthink it. Simple is better. Simple is better. Oftentimes. Almost always. My botany professor, this is the nerdy part of me because I did study botany in college. Oh, yay. Um, He was my taxonomy teacher and he said when looking at taxonomy, you know, the naming of plants and the relationship of one plant to another, he called it parsimony, that the Mm. simplest answer is usually the correct answer and the best answer. And when we make things complicated, it's usually not the right answer. It usually leads us astray or off the path of what we're trying to figure out, which is how these plants are related to one another. So it's usually the simplest path. I agree. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Simple skincare, I can't tell you how many times with my clients I'm like, oh, the problem is you have 12 steps to your skincare regimen. Oh, too many. Too many. Let's simplify. Right. Let's bring it back and, and remember that our organ is a simple organ. And when we throw the kitchen sink at it, it doesn't know what to do with that. Mm, it's scrambling its brain. That's right. And, and you know, it's it's a much easier lifestyle when you have four steps to your skincare yeah, regimen. it's much more doable, right? <laughs> it's much more doable. Yeah, you might actually do it every day. Tell me to do eight things and I'll forget at least four of them. So yeah. let's just start with four from the beginning. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what's so cool about this podcast and about what you've written in your book is just get out there and you can do it and you can access it and, you know, just start with one foot in front of the other. Yeah. So thank you start for small, bringing this yeah. to your listeners. You're welcome. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure getting to know you. You can learn more about Justine on the podcast blog at growwhatyoulove.love and also by following Justine on Instagram at Botnia Skincare. All the links you need to find her plus the calendula healing oil recipe is on the blog with of course, photos from our day together. Um, it's all there. Get the full visual tour. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up if you like it. And please leave a review. This is a huge help to me and the life of the show. I'd like to start off by thanking my sponsor, the fabulous team at Gilmore Garden and Watering. Again, this episode would not have been possible without their help. And Gilmore makes this fabulous swivel connect nozzle. So have you ever had that feeling like the more you walk around trying to water your yard, the more unwieldy your hose gets? One watering product that makes that easier is just that, this Gilmore Swivel Connect nozzle. It pivots without twisting the hose behind you, so no matter where you spray, your hose stays straight and it's easy to move. And the best part is your hose will kink up to 70% less. Pretty amazing, right? Try one out today with promo code GROW20 or GROW20 and save 20% at Gilmore.com.
I'd also like to thank Justine for taking time out of her busy schedule, Chris Camacho for sound engineering, Connor Murphy for stepping in as production assistant and photographer, Disher Sound and Lauren Siri, Julie Harris-Walker, Lasa Dracovich, Josh Murphy, Laura Ling, and all of you for supporting and believing in me. That's right. Woohoo! Farm to face. Do you have that as a hashtag? Oh, I should. You need to have that as a hashtag. That's the new hashtag. Farm to face. I like it. Yeah. <laughs>